Chapter 3 Been There, Done Hat Harrington rested. The last few hours had been something of a personal low. He vowed never again to cause harm to any kind of rodent. His arms and legs were a mess in the aftermath of slowly crawling through approximately 493 heavy-duty rat traps. Counting them as he went was the only thing keeping him vaguely sane. Pain he could deal with. It came with the territory of being a successful mercenary. What really annoyed him, though, was the fact that not a single one of the 493 traps had caught a rat, whereas almost 200 of the 493 had caught a Harrington. He rubbed his arms and pushed on. It wasn't all bad, he supposed. He managed to stop off in an empty waste management sector. It looked so run down, he figured it wasn't in use and promptly took refuge, enjoying a rather leisurely lunch. Reaching into one of his many combat pouches, he grabbed a business card. Originally the sole product of a three-week online advertising course he took last June. On the front, it read, Harrington, space adventurer and premium dog sitter, smuggler, murderer and friend. It had been a relatively unsuccessful self-promotional campaign, as most of his work tended to be through clients who were quite adamant about secrecy. Instead, he used many spare cards for small personal reminders and shopping lists. On the back of this particular card was a list of items he was being paid to acquire on this death moon. Two of the three had been ticked off within the first ten minutes of arriving at the station, due to a very classified area having the main security door wedged open. The air conditioning was broken and several of the guards had been quite hot and were now quite unconscious. The third item worried Harrington. He'd strained to read his own handwriting in the darkness and wasn't sure what exotic was or why it matters. All he knew was that it was at the heart of J section and would probably mean he would have to do a spot of murdering to get it. If Harrington had bothered with even minimal research, he would have known that exotic matter was in fact a key component of an outstandingly clever new engine currently being developed, capable of messing around with gravity on a rather impressive scale. It was the hot new toy of the science world, and its existence had been purely theoretical for over a millennia. No matter how hard people looked, it was never to be found. That was until last year when one of George Miller's top research teams had failed to find it for the tenth time in the same month. And out of frustration, they created a tiny sealed room designated specifically for the sole purpose of not looking for exotic matter. After a quick tea break, they came back to find the room full of the stuff. This method, however, has unfortunately never been successfully replicated, as theoretical matter refuses to be tricked twice, and so only a limited amount remains. Despite this, the team's small success did influence the creation of a number of new research centres specialising in theoretical existence mind games. The largest of which was promptly shut down by a group of organised religious fanatics following claims that they could lure God into disproving himself. This was unnecessary knowledge for Harrington, who prided himself on having almost no natural curiosity, a trait which generally came in very useful in his profession. In exactly 49 minutes, however, he was going to wish he'd known a lot more about what removing an exotic matter container would do. Roger was a big fan of the Martian Olympus Games. Held every four years in the crater of Olympus Mons, he always made time for it and rather shamefully enjoyed several of the more strenuous female gymnastic events. One thing he never failed to notice, however, was how utterly miserable the long-distance runners looked. Now he fully understood why. Having spent the last 36 minutes running harder and faster than he'd ever done before, Roger was utterly miserable. 
His legs burned, his heart burned, and now that he'd finally stopped, was becoming acutely aware that he was incredibly hungry. Peering out the large bin that he and Martin had ducked into, Roger could make out the bustling mass of death troopers making their way to the cafeteria. We're never going to get to lunch, are we? asked Roger on behalf of his stomach. Not unless they give us a final meal, replied Martin, trying desperately to find his happy place, which at the moment was anywhere that wasn't a dangerously foul-smelling bin. Maybe we could live here until this all blows over. Desertion and castration. I think someone will remember. I'm sure we get used to the smell. And look, that might be food. I hope we get a quick death. That wasn't food. Martin, guessing that his life would soon be flashing before his eyes, decided to get a head start so that he could spend more time in the moment, in his last moments. He mulled over the last three years that he'd spent being employed as a death trooper. The name sounded better on paper. In reality, it actually meant very little. He had no combat experience. It was just standard procedure that he wore combat-ready cream battle armour. In fact, he still struggled to get into a bath if it was just a little hotter than usual. He was, by all means, nothing more than a glorified janitor whose career was in the illustrious field of waste management. The idea to kit out all staff to look like battle-ready soldiers was a genius idea. The logic being that in the event of an invasion, you could send a squad of bathroom attendants to support an assault team. They wouldn't have weapons, of course, but instead just stand at the back looking intimidating. It was a surprisingly successful tactic, especially in propaganda videos where thousands of troops could be seen in impressive formation, when only a handful could actually tell the difference between a plasma rifle and a vacuum cleaner. After three long years, Marty could tell the difference between many vacuum cleaners and would provide anyone with enough free time with a short rundown of the latest models and the unsurprisingly predictable relationship between cost and suction efficiency. He enjoyed his job. Something deep inside of him longed for everything he saw to be clean and tidy, causing him to spend many hours of the working day lying under a waste compactor with a heavy-duty toothbrush. These moments were as close to serenity as he could find. The rest of his life seemed to wind him up so tight he struggled to breathe. Martin's only real goals were to have nutritious breakfasts and to get everybody to tidy up after themselves. Now, three years of abnormal normality had been stripped away and he found himself sitting waist-deep in a dangerously misused recycling bin with a man who couldn't even spell the word vacuum. It was unfair. Everything was so unfair. Martin had begun to realise that unfairness was a reoccurring pattern in his life. Why was he so tall? Why didn't hats look any good on him? Why did he always get the worst items on the lunch menu? He was going to die, and he wasn't at all surprised. It's just par for the course, I guess, said Martin, wiping a particularly slimy part of the darkness off his shoulder. I knew something didn't feel right about today. I thought it was indigestion, but I guess now it was impending doom. Sorry for kicking the officer in the gentleman's area, said Roger, staring apologetically into the blackness. It's okay, I suppose. In some small way, it's probably my fault. I guess grabbing an early lunch wasn't the greatest idea. It just seems silly that it should end up like this. Want a hug? Offered Roger. Martin replied with a dangerously sharp stare. A stare that soon collapsed, folding in on itself, leaving him frowning uselessly into the pitch black. The punishment regime set up for the majority of the staff was far from silly. 
They were in fact a key necessity in running such a smooth operation. However, as a result of a rather impressive piece of pragmatic bureaucracy, on this particular death moon, the severity of all punishments, for the lowest crew ranks respectively, had been dramatically heightened across the board. The original punishments were simple. The docking of pay, high gravity push-ups, or on occasion being forced to count within 0.5% margin all the ceiling tiles in each bathroom in their sector. However, due to an unforeseen power surge in central filing, 3,485 Severity Level 10 DM Punishment slash SO98 forms had been printed instead of the two ordered. As such, and keeping in line with the Chief Death Officer's Waste Not Want Not mantra, all misdemeanours are now being met with a deathly response, until all the forms have been used up. Something that is taking rather a long time, as the Death Moon has coincidentally hit an all-time low in incidents for the third month running. After what seemed like hours, but was in fact just some very long minutes, light snapped into the large recycling bin along with a half full coffee cup, both colliding with Martin's unhappy face. Ow! The light snapped off and was replaced with the sound. Do that bin just say ow? No, replied the bin. The light sprang back as a face emerged peering down. What are you doing in there? Reorganising, replied Roger, holding a convincingly stern glare whilst moving rubbish around himself. Now piss off, added Martin, as he wiped down his coffee-stained brow. The face considered this for a moment and decided against it. Instead, looking at them thoughtfully, Is that Martin? And Richard? No, it's Roger, and no. I know it's you, Martin. Your stupid hat's on the floor in front of the bin. Bugger, mumbled Martin, now aware of how much he'd liked that hat. Is that Samson? Could be, could be. But why are you guys hiding? Couldn't keep your hands off each other through lunch? Just leave us alone, pleaded Martin, realising as usual that life for him always meant being at the mercy of something or someone that seemed to have a rather poor view of him. What's that hat stand? No, I don't think so. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that you're both probably late for an appointment with an airlock or a set of really big sharp things, hmm? Come on, Samson, said Martin. Come on, come on, are we buddies or something? Remember when I drank too much at New Year's and you turned my bedroom lights out and the gravity off? I thought I'd work it up in space. Naked. Roger sniggered in the darkness. It wasn't funny. I thought I was dead. No, I have to be tied to my bed or I can't sleep. You're right. It wasn't funny at all, lied Martin. As much as I love you both, it's an awfully big crime to not report this little excursion. I'm not sure I can run such a risk without reward, said Samson with audible smugness. What do you want? 8,000 credits, all your hats, and for you both to eat rubbish. Anything from the bid will do, just three big mouthfuls. We don't have five credits between us, and there's nothing edible in here. I checked, pleaded Roger. Shame. Wish I could say I'll miss you guys, but when you're floating in space, moments from death think of me. I kind of know what it's like. Before I port you though, I actually do need to throw some stuff away. Peace after slithery peace from Samson's lunch platter came hurtling at the pair, who were softly covered in a variety of slime-based nutritious products. A malicious pelting that was abruptly halted by a loud authoritative voice from down the corridor. Oi, what are you doing, son? Samson dropped the lid in surprise as two enforcement officers closed the distance, looking him up and down with a glee of pure job satisfaction. You deaf boy, continued the shorter officer, raising his stun baton. 
The air crackled around his hand as he smiled. Death, boy! added his taller accomplice, who was already energetically filling out a rather large form. Ah, officers, uh, glad you're here. There's something in the bin, replied Samson, allowing his smug grin to resurface. Too right, you're lunch for starters, said the shorter officer. Well, I suppose, but, started Samson. What does it say on the bin? interjected the taller one, not looking up from his electric clipboard. Uh, property of J-section. But, but that's not the issue here. There's actually people recycling. R-E-C-Y cycling, spat the baton-wielding officer. Is organic matter recyclable? But there's people... No, it's not, snapped the tall man, looking up from his notes. We like to keep our section ship-shape, don't we, Harold? added his accomplice. That we do, Greg. That we do. I'm sorry, but you have to protest it, Samson. Until a Mark 17 S2 stun baton and all his available thoughts into a mixture of pain and confusion as his motor functions took on a very few experimental and chaotic motions. People like him make me sick, Harold. Selfish it is. Some poor sod in section J98 is now going to have to sort through all that rubbish. You got that level 10 SO98 form ready? Asked Greg as he gave the seizing, dribbling heap another prod from his stun baton. Just finished, replied Harold. And with a final flick of his wrist, Samson's fate was sealed. Sir, where's he heading? Airlock? Airlock. Both men nodded as Greg picked up Samson by his legs, dragging the convulsing groaning form off into the distance. Oh, Bodhi, he's not hard. There's only three bins to choose from. Not our fault to change the one said Harold as they turned a corner and walked out of earshot.